Hey folks, it's Jamie Oikel from runningrestaurants.com. I've got a session for you today that talks about um, legal ramifications of where we are right now with COVID. And I got a couple experts on the line that are going to be fun to talk to about this. I got a colleague that I've worked with years in the past that is great getting into nitty gritty details. That's Seth Garden Schwartz and his partner, Candace, Candace Owens out of uh, Black Garden Law, which is in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. So I'm going to bring these two online with me. And we're just going to talk about some stuff. And, and it's really going to stem from an article they published last week that hinted on three things that you might not be looking for. So, uh, Seth, Candace, take it away a little bit. I might interject with some questions, but start me off. What can restaurants look at right now that they might not be thinking about? Well, there's kind of three things that when this, when this started swirling around that, uh, that, we, that came to our attention. One is, do, do, any of your, do any of these restaurants have what's called a force majeure clause in one of their material contracts. And these, are, these would apply to things where they're obligated to pay periodically. Think about like your lease payments, maybe payments to your lender, maybe payments to um, like your open table or somebody, somebody who you subscribe to over a period of time. Um, so do you have a force majeure clause? What does it say? Does it apply? Does it give you some relief? The other is, do you have business interruption insurance? Do you have that kind of policy set up in your that, that covers you for something like this. Um, and the third is, what is your negotiating position? You know, how, how should you approach a, let's say a landlord as an example, if you are going to have a very difficult time um, making your rent, your rent payments. So those are kind of the three things that, that, that we thought about. And this has come up in not just restaurants, but a number of other, other clients who are paying or in licensing arrangements where they've got, um, they've got material payments they have to make to a, to a third party. Uh, over time. Hey, quick, quick question for you. I, I sure. want to ask you, because I, I want to hit all, all, all three of those, but I actually want to ask you, I want to maybe, maybe go reverse uh, and talk about the negotiation stuff first, because one of the first things I remember even seeing last Monday when stuff really started to hit, like everyone's like, what do I do with my rent? I'm just not going to pay. Um, what are they going to do? Um, and so that was kind of a gut reaction. And, and I talked to a lease expert yesterday, and he had some interesting things to say about how to approach that. But you're probably getting some of your clients with the same sort of approach. And I know you guys are landlords yourself and these questions come up. What do people do when you talk about from a negotiation negotiation standpoint? What are some tips? Well, so first of all, I like to, we'd like to say that, you know, this is like a stream. And if your customers who are upstream from you have lost their jobs or have lost part of their income, they're not spending as much money with you. And therefore you don't have as much money to spend with your vendors and the people who are downstream from you. So your landlord is downstream from you and they know if they've got any significant exposure to the to, to people who make their living by folks who go out into the public, they, it's, it's not a secret, right? This is like, you not cannot open your eyes without knowing that people are not supposed to be outside. They're not, not even in Florida are they supposed to be outside, right? They're, in fact, um, they're on national news for, um, as, as vectors, but, um, hey, so, hey so I'm little, in Florida. If I have to, if I have to start finding New, New Mexico uh, stories, I'll I'll pull them up. Oh, uh, they're they're not hard to find, <laughs> right? Right, or Colorado, or any of the other places that are near and dear to our hearts. But, um, but uh, so so they're 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 not shocked, right? They're they they are definitely aware. And I want to like an example of what happened in 2008 during that crisis. There were a lot of commercial. Um, uh, loans that were made to developers and, and landlords. And if you think about the way those, those are structured, the bank holds the loan. They own, they own millions, maybe billions of dollars worth of these loans. 
and they had terms in them that would say, let's say the loans were over 20 years, but at 10 years they could be reamortized or they could be called. And so they got to the end of those loan, those loan um, periods, and the landlords were like, okay, are you, or the, the banks were like, okay, are you gonna call these loans? And what the banks do? Absolutely not. Because the moment they did that, they would take that debt on their balance sheet that was maybe not performing and turn it into uncollectible debt just by the fact that they acknowledged them that way. And so what they, what they kept doing, the banks was kicking that ball down the road six months at a time, hoping that at least some of those businesses would recover. And that was a much better strategy for them than suddenly taking a, you know, a couple hundred million dollars worth of loans and saying, oh, yeah, I'm never gonna get that. That's all, that's all, that's all bad. So the landlords are kind of in a, in, as it says an example, in a similar situation, whereas, you know, they may have some legal rights in their leases that give them the ability to right. terminate the lease, to throw the tenants out, to collect on personal guarantees, to do all those things. But do they really want to do those things? Because they're probably likely to end up with an empty building, a long time to find a new tenant, significant TI exposure, and and broker and brokerage fees and so, bad press and right and and, and you're, you're a big. jerk right <laughs> and you're you're an insensitive jerk uh, so it's it's um what are you gonna tell your bank like because you're because the, the the landlord's gonna have to turn around and tell the same story back to their bank that's like right. well i threw that tenant out banks are like genius you know so now what are you gonna do um well, so quick question just to follow up yeah. there would be um it is weird like you, you you talk about the employees that don't have money and then the restaurants can't pay and then the landlord can't pay and then the bank and so there is that 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 kind of downstream function what would be your recommendation is it uh, just just a a letter that says hey i'm not paying or a or a letter that says can we talk about what to do what are you seeing folks actually do I'm going to set this up like we did um, in, in rehearsal, right? We didn't really do rehearsal. But um, so what we don't recommend you do is to send your landlord something in writing saying that you're not going to pay. Mm -hmm. And why wouldn't we do that, Candace? Because it's what we call in the legal world, the anticipatory breach, that you could be looked at as having breached your agreement at that point. So definitely the best thing to do is to send a letter um, opening the door to our phone call, but a letter saying opening the door to a negotiation. I mean, you're not in breach if you're saying, hey, I'd like to you know, discuss my rent payment. Right, that's, exa that's exactly right. You're yeah. you, Technically, if you say, I can't ever pay this, I'm not gonna be able to pay this, you know, then, then technically, you're, prob you're probably, that, that's probably an event of default is the way it's worded in the, in the lease, most likely. And that, by operation of law, would give the landlord the ability to to go after remedies for um, for breach. Yeah, yeah, not that they would. Not that they would, but, but you but, don't want to be in that position of having been told that you're in breach of your agreement. Yeah. Okay. There's no reason to do that because, as Candace said, if you call up and say, "Hey, can we talk about can we talk about um, the rent?" You're not in breach. You're you're right. not. And then the landlord says, "Okay, we'll talk about it." Well, okay, now we can talk about it. Like like you know, they've opened the door in a sense. So you can have that discussion. They know. So the the other um, one of the famous movie references I like is at the is in um, It's a Wonderful Life when they all come and try to get the money out of the bank. Um, they point out it's like the money's not actually in the bank, right? 
the money is in the future of all these businesses and all these homes. So the landlord didn't think that you had, you know, $100,000 a year for 10 years sitting in your bank account, you're just gonna clip those coupons for 10 years. Their assumption is you were going to be successful. Right. And that that would generate some money and they know that's not happening right now. Okay. So you actually, and, and, and if you're in a state where you've got governmental closure, like forget about the legal thing for a moment, you've got some negotiating position, you're like, hey, I cannot, you know, uh, we, we are not making the money because we cannot be in business because the governor and the, you know, the, has told us not to. So the other thing to say too, is that it's best, you know, if you are um, expecting this, which in these sort of times, I mean, most people are, but you know, not to wait till the day that your rent is due or your payment is due, or, you know, the, the last day that you have to make the payment, you know, five or 10 days after without being in default. I mean, you know, get ahead of it. Um, you know, everybody appreciates being informed and having time to think about, you know, a solution again, because the landlords are, you know, uh, have a bank obligation probably, and, you know, they're going to be on the hook for, you know, uh, for payments. So best to get ahead of the conversation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good guys. I, I, I appreciate that. I think you were, like you said, it's not going to be a surprise. The landlord is not going to be surprised when the restaurant or, or, or bar gives them a call and says, Hey, um, we may not be, be making rent and let's talk about it. So um, it is a very interesting um, situation. It's going to be interesting to hear the stories maybe like a couple months from now, how landlords did deal with the situation and getting feedback from the market and, and where we are. But let's, let's, let's keep pushing uh, to your second one, which was, which was, business, which was business interruption in terms of, and you, you can come back to that if, if you want as well. But um, I, I did ask somebody, uh, I, I actually interviewed a dude in the insurance space. And one of the first questions I asked was, hey, man, is there something, you know, is there business interruption insurance? Maybe people could just make a whole bunch of claims in that. And he, he kind of he gave me a maybe, maybe a probably not face. What are you seeing? What are you seeing there? So insurers are usually in the business of at least initially saying no, right? Um, but in this case, so business interruption insurance is probably part of your general insurance policy. We probably all have it. You know, most of your um, listeners have business interruption insurance as part of their general policy. However, it may not cover this action. And here's why. When the SARS epidemic happened, a lot of insurance, so insurance is based on expectations, like what percentage of businesses are likely to have fires. And so you buy insurance, you, you, you are maybe 1% likely to have have a fire so you pay one percent of the of the cost and somebody else has the fire and they get to, they get the payment right so that's how insurance works when the SARS outbreak happened they paid out a lot more total than they, than they expected to so they modified all their business most insurers modified their business interruption policies to say that you know things like epidemics are not covered mm -hmm. generally they require physical damage so if somebody accidentally backs their pickup truck into your dining room and you can't serve for a couple of weeks or months until it gets rebuilt, that's probably covered by business interruption insurance. If your HVAC unit starts to leak and you can't use your kitchen for a few days or weeks, that's probably covered by business interruption or could be because there's a physical damage. A global pandemic that, that, that uh, generates Governmental shutdowns, probably not covered by business interruption insurance, even though it's more interruptive. 
um, but it's not something that was priced into the policy. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, I, I think people wish that um, uh, that was covered and that was the easy that was the easy out, right? Uh, government shuts me down. Let me go to my insurance policy. I can't operate. Let me you know let me let me file a claim. So um, I, th I think that one most people will read that it has been modified where it's not really something you can use there. Uh, force majeure. Uh, people think about that as when I hear that I always think about um, the hurricanes and the storms. And where we are in Florida, that comes up at least once a year, pretty hot and heavy. What do you uh, see uh, there for folks? Any, anything to grab onto? What do you got? So the answer to that is, is yes. There are, um, so force majeure, Candace, means? Superior force, really, in Latin. <laughs> in Latin, yeah. Um, so it, the legal effect of it is? It's, it gives you a excuse for not performing. And one of the... One of the key things about a force majeure clause, many, many people who are not lawyers or don't have to talk to lawyers very often think that this is boilerplate. And they say things like, I want a boilerplate lease. Or, they'll, or someone will hand them a lease and they'll say, is it boilerplate? And they say, yes. They go, okay, well, I'll sign it. Well, don't do that because that's the landlord's boilerplate and it's, it's different. Not every contract has a force majeure clause in it, but there's no requirement. And it's not in the place that people look usually it's at the end in the miscellaneous section in the last page where it's got like choice of law and venue mm -hmm. and you know and counterparts and all this other scintillating stuff not like the amount the date that, that stuff but it's really important because if there if you have if your lease for example has a force majeure clause in it you should go read it because what it does as Candace points out is it gives you an opportunity to not perform and not be in breach. Normally, if I'm a if I'm a tenant and I have an obligation to pay, you know, ten thousand dollars a month, and if I don't pay ten thousand dollars a month, I'm in breach. Yes, yeah, I'm a <laughs> breacher, right? That's what our contract professors say. You're the breacher, right? But if there's a force majeure clause, maybe I'm not a breacher, but it depends mm -hmm. because it's not boilerplate. And so, as an example. We pulled two real force majeure clauses from two real leases involving very large public companies. So I will read them aloud for you if you'll let me, Jamie. Oh, yes. Me. Go for okay. it. Yeah, let's, what you got? Yeah, all right. Um, this is like um, John Lithgow reading, reading legal legalese, right? So the first one says, the parties hereto are relieved of any liability if unable to meet the terms and conditions of this agreement due to any act of God, riots, epidemics, strikes or any act or order which is beyond the control of the party not in compliance provided it takes all reasonable steps practical and necessary to effect prompt resumption of its responsibilities hereunder. gotcha what do you think you like I, that I, one that that one i like as a as a uh, as the as the uh restaurateur i like that one right maybe let's let's read the other one and see if you like that one okay <clears throat> Wherever there's provided in this lease a time limitation for performance by landlord of any obligation, including, but not limited to, obligations related to construction, repair, maintenance, or service, the time provided for shall be extended for as long and to the extent that delay in compliance with such limitation is due to an act of God, governmental control, or other factors beyond the reasonable control of landlord. How do you like that one? 
I kind of have a headache after that one. I don't, I don't like it. Well, not if you're the landlord. Like yeah. it's awesome, right? Um, it, it says that a superior force only affects your responsibility to fix stuff, you know, until until that force is um, is no longer but in place. But the tenant has no such right. relief. Exactly. So the point, the point of this is, if you have a force majeure clause, first of all, and if it's like the first one, it's it could give basically you have a legal argument that you are excused from performance for as long as your restaurant is shut down or affected by this. In fact, the first one even includes um, epidemics in the in the definition. So, force majeure clause, boilerplate, no. Um, is it included or not? It depends, right? Some are, some aren't. What does it include? Who does it apply to? The first one is bilateral. Both parties or either party is excused mm -hmm. in the event of a force majeure. Um, and the definition is really broad. The second one, it only applies to the landlord. The definition is pretty narrow. It only refers to, in other words, um, the force majeure itself is, is very broad, but it only applies to their obligations around construction and maintenance. So read these things. Their only obligations. Right, right, yeah, exactly. In a triple net lease, which is very likely to be in the case for a, for a restaurant. One of the things that, when we talked in the initial part about um, negotiation, here's what we're seeing today. With or without a force majeure clause, we see tenants, first of all, they'd like to say, hey, can we not pay rent for as long as this is going on, mm -hmm. right? The second thing they might say is, could we not pay rent, let's say it goes on for three months. Could we not pay rent for three months and add three months to the term at the end of the lease, right? Um, or a couple of our, of our clients have, um, have gotten reception with, can we defer three, you know, rent payments while this is going on? And so that would mean that their obligation to pay rent is in place and the landlord is whole economically, but they're not going to get paid during the, and so when they would get paid is sort of up for negotiation. You could, they could be paid at the end as a balloon. They could get paid. You could take the amount, the three months rent or the six months rent and amortize it. Yeah, right, exactly. Over some period of time. Exactly. Right? And from the landlord's point of view, that actually works out pretty well because they can basically turn around their bank and say, hey, look, this ain't bad. Like, we're not getting paid this month and no one is, but the tenant has agreed to keep, to um, not leave us hanging on their obligation during of the lease. And they could renegotiate that some at some place down the road, much cheaper than having an empty building. Well, I just saw a, a, a notice come through the New Mexico Supreme Court that said that they're putting a stay on all um, eviction proceedings. So I didn't look to see if it was just residential or commercial, but um, they will not be they will not be processing any evictions. <laughs> for the time being. Yeah. yeah and I, I think, it, I don't know if it was federal, I think it was Florida and I did see something very similar. And again, I, I think it will extend to businesses because nobody wants to be in the business of kicking people out because they didn't make one payment right now with the extenuating circumstances. So definitely it sounds like um, your advice, if folks have not yet done so, go and find that piece of paper 
um, uh, that is their contract, that is their lease, and, and dig into it for, for some of this language, see what that says as it relates to relief. I think most of it sounds like it's going to come from a back and forth exchange with their, with their landlords and their other purveyors. Uh, it's not just landlords here. That, we're, that is a big chunk uh, of, of the business, but you may have other long-term agreements or, or significant dollar agreements with folks that you need to ease back on as an operator. And that is understandable right now. Most people are making exceptions and will be understanding because we want people want their clients to succeed and they want to collect their rent payments and so forth. So I, I have heard of uh, deferments or abatements and reductions and, and so forth. So um, part, parting thoughts as we wrap up, whether it's those three things, something that you didn't hit there or other things you're seeing since um, we are, I usually don't mention the date because a lot of our stuff is evergreen, but this is not, this is going to be constantly changing. This is we're, we're sitting here March 24th, 25th may be an announcement and all this stuff goes away, but, but where we are today, any other tips you want to share with folks? Well, I would say too that, you know, even though we sort of went backwards in the order that we were talking about, definitely read your agreements before you go try to negotiate with your landlord. You know, know what's in there, know what your rights are, know what the timeframes are for, you know, default, know if you have a force majeure, it'll just, one, I can give you credibility when you're going to talk to, you know, your landlord or, or you know, anyone else you have an obligation with and, you know, just to really understand what your rights are to begin with under the contract um, rather than sort of the knee-jerk reaction and, you know, just calling up without actually reading the document that binds you. Yeah, so one of our um, one of our clients was talking about how you build your brand, you know, throughout your, your relationships with your vendors and tenants. And so, first of all, if you've been a problem tenant, the landlord is going to take this opportunity, you're going to breach, right? And they're going to use the opportunity to end the relationship right? Or they're, or they're much more likely to. On the other hand, if let's say you have the force majeure clause that gives you the out, you could do one of two things. You could call the landlord and go, eh, I have a force majeure clause. I'm not going to pay you. Right. And then, um, two months down the road, three months down the road, the, the closure is lifted, but you're still not in very good shape. Right. And now the landlord's going to like, you're a jerk, you know, and I've got a better tenant. Um, or I've got someone, I've got better use for the, I've got someone will pay more, but let's just say for the, for the space, you don't want to be in that position. So it's helpful for you to know what your backup is to go look and say, you, you've actually got a right to not pay, but you don't have to get jerk about it, but it's good to know what your rights are. Right. Right. Yeah. And it, it puts you in a stronger negotiating position. You, you feel you're not asking, um, or you're not just asking but you're sort of collaborating. And even if, um, you don't have a stellar relationship with your landlord, this is an opportunity for you to, to make that a little bit better to work together because they know, I'm sure a lot of your, a lot of listeners here are a tenant in a multi-tenant space, a strip center or a mall or something like that. And the landlord's got hundreds of these. Be the person who's proactive, who who listens, who is not reactive, who doesn't say, you'll never get me, you know, whatever else. Look like, for an opportunity. Right. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. Thank you. Thank you both. Uh, good, good parting thoughts there and ideas. Um, go ahead and share where the best place to, to look for more content. I'm sure you guys will be updating the, your, your marketplace as this goes on whether it's a website or social or, or otherwise, what do you got? Blackgardenlaw.com. We're, um, we're on Facebook. We have an Instagram account. Um, we'll, we, uh, we talked to Jamie. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we're our, easy, website we're easy find. our website's the best place. Blackgardenlaw.com. Um, for us and you're you know, please follow us on on Facebook Twitter and and um, and Instagram, but thanks. Thanks for having us on the show
Yes, Jamie. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, folks. I I will include the link to their their website uh, uh, right on the uh, the show notes or the webpage and so forth. And you can also find their social links from there. So I appreciate it. that. Was Candace Owens and Seth Gardenswartz from Black Garden Law, and uh, these guys shared some tips that can really help you through this tough uh, crisis, which is ever changing and unprecedented. So um, we'll also be here for you with updates on our website. That is runningrestaurants.com. So we'll see you soon again. Thank you both. Bye-bye. Thanks, Jamie. Bye-bye.